0: Welcome, guys. Uh, glad for uh, the opportunity to talk to you. I, you know, I, I should say something. Maybe I shouldn't say something, but I'll say it anyway because I don't want to make this all about me. But I just feel like I want to say it. Um, sun, Sunday can be kind of a long day for me sometimes. You know, I mean, it's it's game day for me on Sunday, and uh, so it, it's a long day. Um, but I've got to tell you that I never ever dread coming to connection. I don't care how tired I am. Um, I don't care how bad the sermon's been, you know, in the morning, because sometimes it can <coughs> really bad. Um, it just doesn't matter. Uh, for some reason, I just love being here, I love seeing you guys' faces, um, and I, I guess I just wanted to say you're important to me. I don't know if that matters to you, but... I wanted to say it, so thanks for being here, I really enjoy it. Um, Tonight, like uh, Josiah said, and uh, just like Alex introduced us to, we're going to talk about Philippians um, for four weeks, and I'd like for you to approach the next four weeks this way. Here's how I'd like for you to approach it. I'd like for you to, you know, I can't make you do this right, but this is a suggestion. I'd like for you to read the book of Philippians every day for four weeks. Just keep reading it. Go as far as you go. Stop. Go again. Go again. Just keep reading it. Just get it inside your system. Okay? Just get it buried in you so that when we come back together on Sunday night, we can talk about it. It'll be way more meaningful for you that way. I promise you. The second thing I'd like you to do is something... Well, if you're a philosopher, we call it really existential. It means really personal. Here's what i like for you to do. I would like for you to read the book like it was a letter written to you. Like 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul sat down and wrote you a letter. And this is what he said. And in a way, that's what he did. Uh, why? Because he opens the letter by saying... Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And then he puts a tagline in there, at Philippi. You know what Paul, really smart man, filled with the Holy Spirit, had no idea what would happen with this letter? He had no clue that when he was penning the letter, he was talking to you. He didn't know what God was going to do in the church. He had no idea how big it was going to explode. As a matter of fact, some theologians, myself included, think that he thought that God was going to seal the deal, finish the whole thing within a few years of the time he wrote the book. He might have thought the end of the age was right around the corner. He had no idea how many years were going to pass and how many millions of people would read this book. But, even though he didn't know it, it happened and the book is for you. So I'd like to suggest you read the book uh, that way. (coughs) I also want to tell you something about the book that doesn't actually come from the book. But it gives you a background. And it's this. This epistle is called the Epistle of Joy. And that's why um, the series is called Design for Joy. I don't know if we've used that title much, but I think it's a great title, Design for Joy. Uh, Paul thinks that we're all designed for joy, and he thinks there's a reason for all of us to be joyful all the time. And if anybody had a reason not to think that, it was Paul. Because his life was way worse than most of ours. Um, This is a man who had every reason to be grumpy. As a matter of fact, on one occasion, he recorded why he had a good reason to be grumpy. And here's what he said five times i've received from the jews forty lashes minus one three times i was beaten with rods once i was stoned three times i was shipwrecked i spent a night at sea and a day in the open sea i have been constantly on the move i've been in danger from rivers in danger from bandits in danger from my own countrymen in danger from the gentiles in danger in the city in danger in the country in danger at sea In danger from false brothers, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of the concern for all the churches. This guy has been through the ringer way more than me and probably way more than you. But in spite of that, he wrote an epistle that everybody will call Later, the Epistle of Joy. Why did he do that? Why did he have that perspective? Because he had this perspective. He said to himself, and I'll illustrate very quickly in the letter what he meant by this. He said to himself and to you, there's nothing that can separate you from the joy that comes through Jesus Christ if you keep your perspective on target. As a matter of fact, he says... Circumstances can't separate you from that joy. People can't separate you from that joy. Your status in this life, even if it's bad, that can't separate you from this joy. And the worry that you have that sometimes overcomes you, that can't separate you from this joy. And this is the way he said it. He said, basically, my life has not turned out the way I thought it would. Well, he doesn't say it in those words. We see it in his words. Here's how we see it. What we know is that he never, ever, had a big, cushy assignment. Right? He didn't have some big, huge, growing megachurch. You know, some of us who do this kind of work all the time, just to be honest with you, on certain days, we dream of bigger churches. Big churches. Thousands of big. People all over the place who know us and listen to us. It's embarrassing me to tell you this, but sometimes we think that. Paul, he didn't have anything like that. Now you might say, wait a minute, he was the apostle. Yeah, I know he was the apostle, but listen to what happened to him. He never was at any place very long at all. He was always hopping around, always getting something started. And as soon as it was started, he would leave and he never would really see or be able to experience the fruit of it. So he never had a big cushy assignment. As a matter of fact, he's writing this from prison. Where he has almost no contact with Christians compared to what he would love to have. Many of the churches that he'd established at this time of his life were in hideous trouble. As a matter of fact, if you read the epistles of Paul, you realize that most of them were written because the churches were having problems. So he's in a circumstance where he's in prison, hasn't had a big cushy assignment, he's writing to churches that are troubled, and while he's in prison, people are dragging his name through the mud, and as a matter of fact, doing their best to take advantage of his imprisonment. He tells us all that in so many words, and still in the midst of all those circumstances, he says, I've got joy. Oh, the other circumstance that he didn't know at the time it's clear he didn't know it if you read this book is that he was about to die he probably at this place or someplace real close to this time was beheaded this imprisonment might have ended in his death but none of those circumstances seemed to affect his joy there's something else he learned about circumstances in life people they didn't affect his joy um, I saw a bumper sticker one time that I just loved. Um, it said, the more I learn about people, the more I love my dog. Have you seen that bumper sticker? Yeah. Um, that's hard for me because I really didn't like my dog that much, but um, I know what they mean, right? Why? Because the great thing about a dog is when you come home from work and it's been a bad day, it's like, ooh, 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 he's still the same. He doesn't care. She doesn't care. He or she loves you all the time. Nothing bothers them. They just are glad you're there, right? So the bumper sticker, the more I learn about people, the more I love my dog, I get it. Because I work with people all the time. Um, People are dishonest. They're vindictive. They're not trustworthy. They're completely self-centered. Actually, people are a lot like me. And so when I look at those people that irritate me, I'm looking in the mirror and it really irritates me more. Do you ever wonder why people frustrate you so much? Maybe that's why. Paul had been deserted by his friends, and now his rivals were trying to take advantage of him. So he didn't let circumstances stand in the way of his joy. He didn't let people stand in the way of His joy. Mm-hmm. The other thing that can kill your joy is what people think of you. Right? You know that. Um, you can focus on all kinds of stuff, outward beauty or influence of money or whatever it was. Um, Paul wasn't a Teflon Christian, but at some point he began <coughs> to realize that it didn't make any difference what people thought. Because at the center of his life was Christ and Him crucified. And Paul says, it doesn't make any difference what I ever had, whatever was to my gain. I just count it loss. If I had high status, it's nothing. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he said. I got a good education, in effect, he's saying. But it doesn't make any difference. Status doesn't matter, because that's not where my joy comes from. He wasn't a tough one, Christian, but he did know that status didn't produce joy, so the lack of status did reduce joy for him he also knew that one of the joy robbers could be worried worry could rob your joy um, he talked about worry i read that from second corinthians among all the other problems he said i have i have these worries with the churches because daily i'm always worried about them but none of those things apparently seem to affect his joy so If those are the things that can affect your joy, circumstances and people and status and worry, make your own list, right? What affects your joy? What brings you down? Let's think about from Paul's perspective what actually produces joy. And if you look at this epistle, I would suggest that there are at least four things that Paul says produce joy. The first one is this. It's at the very beginning of the epistle. He starts it out with the words... Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Let me read that more literally, okay? Because the NIV, wonderful translation, it's not that literal. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. That's what the word meant. He says, the thing that produces joy for me is that I'm a slave to Christ. I'm actually, actually a bond servant, he says in another voice. My life is not my own. I'm a slave. And that's what produces joy. You know, a slave didn't have a life of his own. He might have been a slave in his master's house and he might have taken care of the master's finances. He might have been a tutor in the master's house where he tutored, he taught the master's kids. He might have been a worker on agricultural projects or a worker even on projects related to building buildings. But they were never his own. They were all for the Master. But all his protection and all his care was also provided by the Master. And Paul takes that horrible image, at least for us slaves, and says, the reason I have joy is because I have completely lost myself in Jesus Christ I've so turned my life over to Jesus that I can just say I'm a slave to Jesus and that produces great joy for me second thing he says produces great joy it's discovering a cause in Philippians 1 21 he puts it this way he says for me to live you could probably repeat it if you know it For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've got a cause and my heart is so singular in its focus that my life doesn't matter. That cause is so crystal clear to me that nothing else matters. So it doesn't make any difference to me whether I live or whether I die. It's all about Jesus anyway. I've got one thing in mind. It's that cause, and that's what brings me joy. A third thing I think that Paul would suggest brings him joy in the midst of all the stuff he's gone through comes in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, verses 12-14. through 14. Listen to these words. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of this. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. For Paul, joy came from focusing on the goal forgetting what was behind and straining towards what was ahead. Um, have you ever, have you ever like been there before? I mean, not in an oppressive kind of way, but in a way where you're so focused on a goal <coughs> that everything about your life revolves around that goal. And there's actually great purpose and joy in it. Now, now sometimes it can be odorous, right? But... We find this in in our lives periodically. We don't think of it spiritually. We just think of it as objectives. And sometimes an objective which is so sterling clear, so crystal clear, that goal, it gives us energy, satisfaction, motivation, even joy. So, how many of you are getting ready to get married? Yeah? Okay. I bet you, after you finally pop the question, I saw two guys answer after you popped the question, after you made the decision, after you started the focus, everything, everything about your life was somehow defined by that one goal. To unite with that woman forever. And your whole life was reoriented. Paul basically says, I find joy when I focus on the goal. The goal which is heavenward, which is Christ." which is out there, not here, not yet, but will be. When I focus that way, I find joy. Why? Because it takes me above my circumstances. It lifts me above all this stuff. And I find great joy there. there there's a fourth reason, I think, that Paul would say, I find joy, or put it another way, things that produce joy, number four. It's a proactive thing that Paul did in the midst of the circumstances. That produced joy it was this he rejoiced all the time or he puts it this way rejoice in the Lord always I will say it again rejoice and gentlemen gentleness be evident to all for the Lord is near don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition with Thanksgiving present your requests to God and the result the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So, Paul, when am I supposed to rejoice? Always. In every situation. It'll produce joy for you. Why am I supposed to rejoice? It's very simple. God is near. The Lord's in charge. Of all the details of your life, it doesn't make any difference what's going on. Rejoice because you know that he's controlling the events of your life. Third, what happens when I rejoice? The peace of God guards your heart and your mind. Alex um, talked about a time where he went through some significant depression. And in those moments, everything closed in. The whole world was dark. And it was all on the inside. And when he got out of himself and went into this book... He began to exercise the activity that Paul spoke about right here. He started to rejoice in the Lord. Now, I'm not a psychologist, right? And I don't want to overdo this. And I don't want to suggest that depression can be solved every time by just going and quoting a few verses of Scripture. I know it's deep. I know it can be dark. But I do know I know from experience that being proactive about rejoicing because God said it was what you ought to do can produce joy even in depression. Because I too have been there. And it does work. It works because it's right. It works because it refocuses everything about your life. And Paul said, that's the way I want you to live. I want you to live like that. I want you to look at your life and realize God's in control and I want you to rejoice actively all the time. And I've often found that the people who know how to rejoice the best are the people whose circumstances are not the best that frequently is the case and it's because somewhere along the way they've heard the word they've heard from Paul or somebody else in the scripture that says rejoice the Lord always I'll say it again rejoice because if you do it'll create joy so that's a synopsis just an overview you might say hideously simplistic Bob <laughs> of Philippians of Paul of his advice but I actually think it's true over the next three weeks, we're going to take a look at some of the particular passages and what Paul had to say about what it meant to uh, live in the joy of the Lord. But for tonight, for tonight um, that's what I got. Thank you for listening.
1: Here's a really interesting question of gets get to uh, gets us to the question of what is joy? Is joy an emotion, or is it a, is it a state of thinking? Hmm. Do you yeah, like I think, go first. Go ahead. I think it's both. Uh, I think
2: that emotions will follow uh, where your intellect is taking you, where your mind is taking you, um, and so in Scripture we're commanded to do a lot of things we might not immediately feel like doing. Like worship, you know. And so, if we're in a service and, and worship is going, and we don't feel in a worshipful mood, should we not worship until we feel like worshiping? I think the answer is no. You sing, you worship, and the affections will follow what your your mind and your your lips are doing. I think that's the same thing for for joy. Uh, when we rejoice, there's joy that comes through that process of rejoicing. So you can be rejoicing and find joy even in places like a funeral. Uh, And and, in the midst of deep sorrow, as you follow God's commands to rejoice, you can dig and find joy, even though on the surface there's grief or sorrow or sadness. So I I would say it's both.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I I, I can remember one of the most ironically joyful moments I ever had was at my dad's funeral. Um, Dad passed away unexpectedly. He preached Sunday morning. Strong as could be. Sunday night, gone. Just like that. Um, about three years ago. And and I preached Dad's funeral. And man, I thought, how am I going to get through this? Um, it, it, I, I, I planned for it. I prepared my heart, my mind as fast as I could. I got up there. I delivered. It was totally fine. <laughs> and in the midst of, of that crowd, it was a huge crowd of people. My dad was a pastor. I felt <coughs> an incredible joy incredible joy Um, mixed with sorrow but amazing joy now I know that was the grace of God right it wasn't just like oh you're always going to feel joy every time it's awful no I get that it it was the grace of God in that moment but the grace of God in that moment was real and the grace of God in that moment gave me joy in the midst of my sorrow I think it's possible I would add one thing to that I absolutely agree what Dan says I I would just add this I think it's harder for some people than it is for others really really some people, you have a disposition that this makes sense. You get it, you do it, you live it. Other people, you're darker, you're brooder, you're morose, and this is a lot harder. That just means you need to work harder at it. It doesn't mean it doesn't work. It just means it's time to put your shoulder, you know, um, on the wheel and really work it. Because I, I know the feeling of being a brooder, uh being dark. Um, I mean, I think that's one of my biggest burdens of life, um, is being that way. Um, I'm not very smart, but I think deeply. It doesn't so get me very far. Probably one big of biggest burdens. Yeah, life that's her biggest burden of life, living with me, yeah.
1: Here's a great question. Um, I know that a lot of people are probably thinking this. So, some of us have believed the Gospel and had faith in Christ, um, but when it comes to joy, we seem to not be able to Put a finger on the missing ingredient in our lives, despite the fact that we do trust in Christ for our salvation, and we want to look to Him and have joy in our lives. Um, What kind of practical tips could you give to someone who's really looking to make that connection between faith in Christ and joy when those circumstances are really weighing them down?
2: I think Bob gave you actually a really good practical tip. Dive into the book of Philippians, Um, because there's a guy who really... When I picture Paul, I don't think of a smiley guy. Honestly, I mean, he was a you know rough and tumble kind of guy who could endure a lot, and yet he was able to talk about joy. I would say dive in there. Um, like Bob said, you know, when some people say, "Oh, don't worry, be happy," you, you want to smack them, right? You like, what are you going through in your life that could p- compare? Paul went through it, and so when he says, you can find joy even in the midst of it, I tend to listen to Paul. And he does. He puts his finger on a lot of the issues that I struggle with. I know one of the things that robs me of joy is not getting credit that I feel like I should get. Guess what? Paul talks about that in chapter 1. You know, so what? People are preaching the gospel, and they're taking the credit for it, and they're doing it for bad motives. I don't care. Christ is preached. Amen. You know, End of story. Uh, so, I would say go to people who, Paul and other people, who know how to find joy and, and learn from them.
0: Yeah, I, I would add to that. You know, there's a there was a book written a few years ago called uh, Feelings Can You Trust Them? Right? And I would suggest that most of the time, your feelings are not reliable. At least that's my experience. Most of the time, my feelings are not reliable. They're real, they're for sure they're important I get that but it doesn't mean they're reliable because my feelings are my feelings they're not reality right so my reality can be completely different than what I'm feeling and when I enter the scripture and remind myself of that it helps Um, not long ago I got a daughter who's now graduated gone on got to get a job And she was at one of those really low points, right? She was, I don't know, flipping out over something like daughters do. And (laughs) way down there, and and I, 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 I just took her by the shoulders one day, and I said, listen to me, Trish. What you've got to understand right now is this. Your feelings are real, but they're wrong. I'm telling you that. Because I'm standing on the outside looking in. Your feelings are real, but they're wrong. And you've got to tell yourself that sometimes. And one of the ways to do that is the way Paul suggested, and that's to rejoice.
1: Yeah. I think that's, that's something uh, that is extremely helpful for me to remember because there are times where I don't feel like getting in the Word at all yeah. because I am well aware of my sin and I feel separated from God when I take this view of my relationship with Him as based on whether or not I've had a good day or a bad day. And uh, I will feel a real disconnect and just be going through some, some, some tough thoughts. And uh, when I get into the word, even when I don't feel like it, God can really speak to me uh, through his spirit and can change my heart um, and his living word in my life. And uh, so let me encourage you. Don't let your feelings stop you from coming to God, because sometimes our hearts are a little more deceptive than we would like to think they are. And uh, God's word is true and his spirit speaks through it in powerful ways. Any other questions out there before we conclude?
0: That's a great questions, thanks. I mean, they're real, and, and we understand. We've been there, and we'll be there tomorrow. You know, because tomorrow this is all going to seem like poppycock. <laughs> it's Monday. We're all there it's Monday. Right yeah, now. that's right. I'll be all tired out, and bored, and depressed, and <laughs> thinking about all the things <laughs> I didn't on say. My yeah. <laughs> Just I hates because I come in whining. yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. All right, Van, come on back up here.